Our Father in heaven, thank you for gifting us with your word this morning and for granting us the capacity to, to listen and to hear the scriptures. I pray now as we consider uh, our topic today that we might find our souls filled, our lives perhaps inspired, that we might walk out with greater clarity for this world in which you have placed us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we get to talk about persecution today. Thank you, Japhet, so much for inviting me to come talk about persecution. This is great. And good morning to my Boulder family. Um, I think I remind you of this um, when I come to visit, but I'm going to do it again. There are some congregations that God has called to have a rich local ministry, and that is true of your congregation, but there are some congregations that God has not only called to a powerful local context, but also local churches that are called to influence in a much broader way. And you are one such congregation. Uh, your leadership in the preaching plan that is being taught in places near and far uh, your inspiration through uh, the arts and creativity and valuing the local church at a, at a fresh new level, this is felt broadly. And so I want to affirm, because it takes a lot of work, it's enough work just to deal with a local setting, but it is a lot more work to care about congregations beyond. And I want to affirm what you do, you add value to us, and I want to affirm my colleague Japhet, who is a unique once-in-a-generation voice in our church for his tireless labor in caring not only for the local, but caring for local places everywhere. So what I want to say to you is that this is not just an ordinary congregation. You are a blessed, important group of people whom God has called to do significant things in the world. And I want to personally thank you from my little neck in the woods for what you contribute. So, having said that, we get to talk about persecution. And I want to begin by talking about my marriage, which is an odd place to go from persecution. But uh, I grew up in western North Carolina on the other side of the continent. And we have mountains there. Now, Westerners don't think that these are mountains. They refer to them as hills. But nonetheless, I grew up in the mountains of western North Carolina. My wife, uh, a native Oregonian. And I don't know if there's any Oregonians in the house, but I can tell you that uh, people who hail from the state of Oregon, they believe that all the rest of us are inferior. And in part, they believe that the great outdoors of Oregon and their mountains reign supreme. And my in-laws would routinely mock me. You come from a land that those aren't mountains, they're just hills. Out here in Oregon, we have real mountains. And I had to put up with this for many years when I was living back east with my wife until finally we moved to the state of Washington. And I was happy to discover that Mount Rainier is taller than any peak in Oregon. And so now I... Look down my nose upon my in-laws there in Surrey, Oregon, because we have a higher peak. Now, of course, I realize I'm in a state with 14ers, that this is at a whole different level. 
But you'll understand the language of mountains. So early on in our marriage, uh, Nicole got out this book about Northwest hiking. Loads of hiking. And she opened it one day and she pointed to a particular hike. She said, we have to do this. And in the beginning of each of these descriptions, there uh, was a, a rating system. And she said, look, this is a 10 out of 10 for scenic beauty. She says, we have to do this, 10 out of 10. And I said, well, what's that other rating system? There was two. She said, well, you don't need to worry about that. And I said, no, I want to know, what's the other system? I see that that's a 10 out of 10 as well. And I moved her hand away from the page, and that is for strenuous difficulty of the hike, 10 out of 10. She said, we're going to do this hike together, and it is the South Sister, Oregon's third highest peak at over 10,000 feet. In fact, I think I have a photograph of what it looks like as you're ascending this mountain. My wife, a marathoner. In very, see, Jafe and I have this in common. We have wives who are super like, let's go climb mountains uh, types. And so my wife, like at a very high level of exercise and athleticism, and I remember climbing this mountain about 75 paces behind her the entire way. And do you know what I was uttering under my breath with every single step? One word. Why? 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 And you've got to come up to an answer. You have to come up uh, with an answer for that question in the moment. Um, why? It's beautiful outside. Why? I'm getting physical exercise. Why? I want to stay in this relationship. It means something to me. Right? Why? I think there's a couple truths in that little story. And the first is this. Life is uphill. All of life is uphill. When I talk to my friends in particular, my many good friends who are in their golden years and I seek wisdom, and I say, tell me, what have you learned about life? One of the things they say, Life is always uphill, you see. Oh yeah, we're talking about persecution today. It's a, kind of a strange thing to talk about in North America, in Colorado, in the 21st century. It's kind of an odd thing, like we're going to ratchet up and say, well, I was persecuted because someone didn't like my sermon. Or I was persecuted because someone doesn't like the one project. You almost have to sort of stretch it, right? Compared to what we're talking about in the first century. But this I know, friends, life persecutes. Life itself is uphill. It's hard. Think about some of the characters in Scripture. Would you like to be Noah? Who preaches his guts out for decade after decade. And what does he get in the end? His immediate family's persuaded. That's it. Or how about Abraham? Given a task to build this amazing organization that would change the world. But upon his death, did he see the sands of the sea? Did he, did he recognize the stars of the heaven? No, it's a hard life. Or how about Moses? Moses, whose call it is to lead this emancipated group of former slaves. But what do we learn for four decades? Nothing but whining and complaining. And in the end, he doesn't even cross the finish line. Or maybe Samuel. How would you like the call of Samuel? 
This task it is to explain to the previous leadership that, in fact, their time is past. Samuel, who has to negotiate the challenge of Israel begging for a new king and all of that drama and the personal sacrifice that he faced. Or how about Mary? How would you like to be Mary? The most important mentoring relationship in the world, raising Jesus only to see her only son die amidst great suffering on the cross. Or maybe the Apostle Paul, he's rising in the ranks the very top of his organization. But then he hears the call to Christ and he suffers. He suffers in a way that few suffer, even unto martyrdom. And what about Jesus himself? Do you want to walk the way of Jesus? Jesus who ends up suffering and dying on the cross. Read the scriptures. Read the New Testament. You see, sometimes I think we have this idea that all we have to do if we pray hard enough, if we work hard enough, is give it up to God and he will get us out of jail. But I remind you, before Peter was rescued from jail, James was beheaded. There was no freedom for him. Friends, what I want to say this morning when we wrestle with this subject of persecution in the first world, in the 21st century, in the United States, and try to figure it out, life persecutes. Life is hard. And even even in this room, right, our bodies fail us. Our relationships wound us. The circumstances, they come against us. Life persecutes. It's hard. It's uphill. All of it. So the question is, how is it that we sort this out? How do we survive? How do we remain joyful in the world? Because it is uphill. I submit to you this morning that our focus should not be on the hill, but rather on making sure we have a clean, clear, powerful answer to the question, why? Or you can climb a mountain, you can go uphill if you have an answer to the question, why? Oh, when you compile those stories, the ones I listed just a moment ago, what is it that kept all of those folks going? Let's uh, take a look. I I, I noticed this just recently. Uh, Take a look at this first one. So God said to Noah, Noah hears the voice of God. The Lord said to Abraham, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. Then the Lord said to Samuel, but the angel said to Mary, a voice said to him, Saul, Saul. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son, Whom I love, with him I am well pleased. Astonishing. Do you see see the connection all the way across those stories? What do these folks have in league with one another? They heard the voice of God. Now, I don't think that we should worry so much. Is it an audible voice? Or is it it something where they actually heard um, sound waves from heaven? The point is this. To a man, to a woman, all of these difficult uphill stories, what keeps them going? What allows them to stay faithful? What is it that enables them to have a spirit of joy in their life, to be faithful to the end? Each and every one of them claimed 
to have heard the voice, to have internalized the echo of God's lips in their soul, they had a compelling why. They knew God. They knew what Jesus had spoken into their lives. Friends, they didn't keep going because they had a a good day once every now and then that kind of rallied them. They didn't keep going because God let off on the accelerator of the difficulty of life from time to time. Oh no, they keep going because they have an internal sense that God is with them, that God has spoken to them, that God has a future for them. They have heard the voice of God. Of God. They have a clear why. Now, I want to just double down on this for a minute from a place that you might not expect. For even in the business world that many of us live in, even in, in the realm of contemporary life, both inside and outside the church, there is a sense about how critical it is to have a clear and compelling why. Let me read to you uh, just a few uh, observations and quotes. Uh, Patrick Lencioni, one of the great uh, business consultants of our day, he says, the number one question of our lives, why do we exist? Why do we exist? It's got to have an answer. Or this one, Bill Hybels, why do people do what they do? The number one question, why do we do what we do? Or Simon Sinek, who's written a whole book on this, you have to start with why in the morning. John Maxwell in Success Magazine, over the years as I have watched and listened to successful people, I have discovered a common thread. They know why they're here. Viktor Frankl, those who have a why to live can bear with almost any how. Reverend Ernest Campbell, the two most important days in your life, the day you're born and the day you find out why. Tim Sanders' meaning is one of our greatest needs. Jan Bruce in Forbes, purpose. Purpose is the thing that if you have it, you can get through just about anything. Warren Bennis, great leaders understand very basic truths about human beings. They know that we long for meaning without meaning. Labor, life is time stolen from us. Dostoevsky deprived of meaningful work. Men and women lose their reason for existence. They go stark, raving mad. Robert Greenleaf, this generation of young people, will insist on more determined efforts to provide significant and meaningful work. Only one large industry, or perhaps the church, needs to do this with notable success to gain a successful competitive advantage. A little question that businesses are asking these days, this Gallup question. uh, Can people say of the place that they serve, the mission or purpose of my company, the mission or purpose of my church makes me feel my job is important? And then one last from Warren Bennis. He speaks about great groups. Think about great churches, great organizations. They think that they're on a mission from God. Whether they are trying to get their candidate into the White House or trying to save the free world, great groups always believe that they're doing something vital, even holy. They are filled with believers, not doubters, and the metaphors they use to describe their work are commonly those of war and religion. 
People in great groups often have the zeal of converts. People who have come only recently to see some great truth and follow it wherever it leads. Great groups are engaged in holy wars. The psychology of these high-minded missions is clear. People know going in that they will be expected to make great sacrifices. There it is. But they also know that they are doing something monumental, something worthy of their best selves. Their clear collective purpose makes everything they do seem meaningful. And we could go on and on. Life is uphill. Life persecutes. This world is not easy. The prosperity gospels that say, Boulder Church, if we just pray enough, God is going to make our lives easier, not true. I remind you in the New Testament, there is no expectation, zero, when the believers come together to pray that somehow they will become wealthy, that somehow they will no longer get sick, that somehow mortality will flee them, that somehow they will no longer be persecuted. In fact, it's quite the opposite. They wake up realizing that in this old world, it's going to be hard. It's not going to get easier. Oh, there may be good days and there may be bad ones, but trajectory in this world is uphill. Life persecutes. What set them apart, when we look at the breadth of the biblical record, men and women who have heard the voice of God and have a clear and compelling sense of calling, of mission, of vocation, the Latin is vox, or we use the word voice. And I wonder, if I can just push this a little bit deeper, I wonder when the psalmist says, I am fearfully and wonderfully made, if he does not have something deeper in mind than his anatomy and physiology, or his ability to think, but perhaps it is something much more significant. He understands how wonderfully he has been constructed because he has a sense that God's voice is now inside of him. He now has something to say. He has something to contribute. Against all odds and difficulty, the voice of God is alive in his life. Now, I want to submit to you that there is an industry that I think all of you know well that has monetized this idea to the tune of billions upon billions of dollars. This is an industry that has gone on for decades now. Various iterations rise and fall, international Millions upon millions of customers, the founders, the entrepreneurs behind the different uh, iterations of this industry have grown very, very wealthy. This is a phenomenon that just keeps on going. Now, you may recognize some of uh, the branding of this particular industry. Words like uh, American Idol. Heard of it? Britain's Got Talent. 
the X factor, or, and I think this is powerful, the voice. Whoa, the voice. And what's fascinating to me about this industry that's been going on again for a very long time but just doesn't quit is it basically tells the same story over and over and over again. Same story. Countless times. And we are riveted. And what's the story? An average ordinary human being who has a life, has a family, enjoys an existence, going about breathing, inhaling and exhaling on this planet. Human being. But there's something that's missing. And what's missing? They feel like there's something stirring deep inside of them that has not come out. And what is that thing? It's a voice. They've just been longing to share this thing that's deep in their core. It's a voice. And we watch this story again and again. And it's powerful. It's emotional. It brings us to tears. We can't look away. I have to tell you, I think that my favorite of all of these countless stories, man, this is probably 10, 12 years old. And it's, uh, it's one of these stories, like all the others, but I think particularly powerful. And I've captured it on video, and I want to show it to you, and then we'll wrap up together. But for the next... Paul, what are you here for today, Paul? To sing opera. I've always wanted to sing as a career. Confidence is, has always been...
Life is uphill. Life persecutes. Life is hard. But what then is the purpose of the church, I ask you? To invite one another into the presence of God. To discover that each and every one of us has a voice. Oh, not necessarily a voice like our musicians on stage now, but something that we have to say, something that burns within our souls. A talent, a work, a contribution, a piece of describing a great story of hope. That Jesus came to this world, that he lived and he died, but he was raised from the grave. And in so doing so, he became the first of the fruits. And that one day, one day at the trumpet sound, we all shall find life eternal. And life will no longer be like this. And the valley will come. And life will be made anew. But until then, let us lift one another up. Let us pull the great voice that God has put inside each and every one of us that we might discover victory over persecution, that we might find hope even here.